facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. A fabulous Friday to you. Yes, we made it through another week, folks. We're going to kick off your weekend in style. 888-914-9149. It's Kale Clark Show only on Relevant Radio. So happy to be with you once again. 888-914-9149. And of course, you can email the program as always. The address is klecale at relevantradio.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Kale Clark, C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. And if you follow my Twitter feed, uh, you'll know that I wished a very happy Super Mario Day to everyone who celebrates. not an official feast day, of course, but there's going to be a... I don't know if you guys played Super Mario on the Nintendo growing up, but really popular game. There's going to be a Super Mario movie, of course, coming out. There's a trailer that's out there. And why is it Super Mario Day? Because, Because it's March the 10th. M-A-R-I-O. Get it? The one is an I, the zero is an O. Okay, all right. Super Mario. March 10th spells Mario. Okay. People will find a feast day for everything. But anyways, that's uh, that's what it is in the secular world. But of course, uh, we are uh, not in that world. We are trying to look at things from God's perspective. Although, of course, games are part of it. Uh, who was it? C.S. Lewis who said that games are the serious business of heaven. Why is that? Because uh, heaven is a place of joy. And it seems strange that one could find joy talking about a subject as serious as death. But it really can happen. We've been going through this Memento Mori uh, devotional by Sister Teresa Alethea Noble. And we're going to have another uh, excerpt from that today as well. But being a Friday, of course, in Lent, we have to reckon with and wrestle with not only the death of Jesus, which is obviously something we think about on Fridays because he died on a Friday, Good Friday. And so Friday is as good a day as any to meditate on our own death. And one of the ways that people recommend doing so, which will help you live a better life, they always say it's a good exercise. And maybe this is something we could do during Lent to take out a piece of paper and write out our own obituary ahead of time. Now, it sounds morbid, but the point is try to make that happen. Whatever you hope people will say about you, whatever you want your legacy to be, know what it is. Begin with the end in mind, as Stephen Covey said. What do you want that to be? And how can you avoid deathbed regrets? Deathbed regrets. So here's a question for you, 888-914-9149. And I'm sure if there are any uh, priests listening to uh, the program right now, they could call in and they probably would have a lot to say about this. Have you ever heard someone's deathbed regrets? You don't have to name names or anything, but have you ever heard somebody else's deathbed regrets? Either in person, maybe you've been at the bedside of a, of a friend, a relative, a loved one who's passed on, or a doctor. I, I'd imagine that whoever's around you gets maybe a last speech, if you will, a last testament from a lot of people. Maybe you've read about people's deathbed regrets. If so, what, what did you learn from this? Did it impact you? What, what are the deathbed regrets that you have heard most commonly? And there are all these apocryphal stories about famed people who had deathbed regrets. Ty Cobb. Now, I know my producer Jim is really gearing up for baseball season. He's really excited about this, and so am I. It's a sign of spring. Uh, it's coming soon. And Lent, of course, is, is an old English word for spring, 
but baseball is a really spiritual sport. We'll talk about that another time. But Ty Cobb, the Georgia Peach, one of the best baseball players of all time in the early 20th century, but also one of the meanest, nastiest pieces of work you could ever imagine for various reasons. You can look up some stories about his life. But allegedly, I heard the story, allegedly he had a deathbed conversion to Christianity. I don't know whether he was a Christian growing up, whether he was baptized or not. I don't know. He just wasn't taking his faith seriously, didn't live it out. But apparently he had a deathbed conversion in which he said, I wish I had known this in the top of the first instead of the bottom of the ninth. The bottom of the ninth inning of life, as it were. I don't know if that's a true story or not. I don't know if that's a legit quote, but it's a pretty good one. So what are the what are the deathbed regrets that you have heard of that you know of? I thought this is a good thing to talk about on a Friday in Lent. Um, there's a guy on Twitter named Sahil Bloom, and he he has a, a newsletter called the Curiosity Chronicle. Uh, he he's one of the most popular accounts actually on all of Twitter. He's he's really kind of getting out there. He's got almost a million followers on Twitter. He's getting close. He's getting close. At Sahil Bloom, S-A-H-I-L Bloom. Uh, former baseball pitcher, uh, as he says in his bio, he gave up a grand slam on ESPN in 2012 when he was pitching for the Stanford Cardinal College Baseball. And he's still waiting for it to land. So he writes about what makes him curious, what he, what he learns along the way. And he made a list recently on Twitter of 10 things that he knew that he would regret on his deathbed unless he started taking care of it now. That's the best time to think about this, not when it's too late. Not in the bottom of the ninth, as Ty Cobb said, allegedly, but somewhere in the beginning of the game, somewhere maybe in the middle innings before it's too late. It's never too late until it's too late. But another baseball quote from Yogi Bear: it ain't over till the fat lady sings, it ain't over till it's over. Well, one day it will be over, and so let's, let's make amends now. Anyway, Sahil Bloom says, here are 10 things that he knew that he would regret on his deathbed. And just thinking about this, he says, was illuminating, inspiring, and here's his list and why everybody else should make one as well. So here's deathbed regret number one that Sahil Bloom had. He said, quote, it would be not spending enough time with my kids during the magic years. There's a devastatingly short window of time during which you are your child's entire world. You know this if you're a parent. But after this time, eventually they start to become more independent. They have friends and they eventually have significant others, spouses that will fill that role. And he says, I refuse to miss those precious years. And he has a young son, an infant son right now. Deathbed regret number two, not spending enough time with my parents during their remaining years. And he says, the time that we have with our parents is limited. The vast majority of it is already behind you. It's already in the rearview mirror by the time you leave school. And he says, I won't hide from the scary math. I will prioritize this special time with them. So that's number two. Number three, number three, deathbed regret that he doesn't want to have. So he's trying to do something about it now. Not training my body and mind during my middle years. He says, it's easy to let other priorities step in front of your physical and mental health in your middle years. But if you stop training your body and mind, they will fail you in your later years. I will prioritize that. Okay, so training your body and mind, not giving up on, on physical fitness, 
mental fitness. I see a lot of people who they just don't keep their mind sharp as they get older. And, um, but others do, others do. They, they still want to learn. They still want to read. They still want to just explore the world. And they're, they're, they stay curious. They, they stay humble and they want to learn. And that, that's, that's, I think, really important. But it's also important to keep, keep one's body in shape. And I know what it's like. You can get caught up with the demands of work, especially, I think, in those, in those middle years, because very often you're trying to balance a lot of different things, not only trying to pursue excellence at work, but also you're take you're very often taking care of children young children and also maybe older parents so you're kind of caught in the middle with a lot of extra responsibilities and you've got to juggle it you've got to manage it somehow and very often one's physical health falls by the wayside so you can't let that happen and and I'm as, I'm guilty as church too I, there's things I need to do to get better on that front and start taking care of my health and and maybe just you're no good to anybody. It's like the airplane analogy. You've got to put your own oxygen mask on first before you can help someone else. If you're passed out, you're of no use to anyone. So that that's that's an important point. So here's another one. Another deathbed regret that you want to avoid. Allowing true friendships to atrophy over time, just like a muscle atrophies. Speaking of physical fitness, a muscle will atrophy if it's not used. And friendships can as well. If you don't work that muscle, that friendship muscle... And he says, true friends are few and far between. It's easy to let these friendships wither because distance and life make get-togethers harder. And he says, I will be the friend who checks in and plans the gatherings to keep them thriving. Keep them thriving. So check in with your friends. Make them a priority. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. Deathbed regret, another one. Allowing negativity to linger in my life. Sahil Bloom says it's eager to allow negativity to linger than to have the tough conversations to eliminate it. But negativity is a black hole. It sucks the happiness from your universe. I will confront it and ruthlessly eliminate it. I like that one too because a lot of relationships, whether they're at work or at home, conflict is a part of relationships. As we talked about, I think it was yesterday, in a marriage, let's say, you've got two sinners moving in under the same roof. Uh, in, in an office setting, there are a lot of sinners working together within close proximity of one another. And so in, in any relationships, there, there, there's going to be that, that tension and, and there will be conflict. And it can actually be a positive thing if it leads to a good outcome. And the key to it, there's this, um, and I mentioned her before too, I think on the show, uh, there's a, a psychologist on Twitter by the name of Nicole LaPera. And she's, she always dispenses these, these Twitter threads from a psychological perspective. And one of the things that she says about conflict in relationships is that what's 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 most important is not the conflict itself, but it's how you a handle it and how you repair the relationship after conflict. That is really key because if it's a healthy thing and it's a respectful thing between the two parties, the relationship can actually be a flourishing one, e even though there 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 could be conflict from time to time. It's all about how you repair afterwards. If you're going to give the silent treatment, if you're not going to communicate. Uh, that can be a, a real big problem. And so things like that. So this idea of, of confronting the issues and not allowing negativity to linger. All right. So another thing he says, this is a good one, letting money control his life. He doesn't want to do that. He says, quote, there are very few things in the world I find as sad as the, quote, rich yet miserable, end of quote, existence. I have no desire to be the person who lets money rob me of my time or fulfillment. 
I will place family and core values ahead of money. That's really important. We often, uh, you know, in our maybe our worst moments, we think, man, I, I wish I could trade places with this guy or that guy or whoever. But if you think about it, a lot of people say, I wish I was Warren Buffett. <laughs> I wish I had, I wish I had, uh, cash wasn't a problem for me. But here's the thing. Warren Buffett's 90 years old. He's at least 90 years old. So if you're, if you're 20 or 30 or 40, you, you are far wealthier than Warren Buffett because you have the riches of time on your side. And that can never get, you can never get that back. You can never get that back. Your, your time, your health. And so the other thing too is people, people get caught up in, in this game of trying to, to envy one another and, and, and it, but, but here's the thing. If you, if you would trade places with this person, you have to think about this. You would have to accept the totality of all of their life and all of their problems. And a lot of people who have resources have a lot of problems. <laughs> like, like the rapper Biggie used to say, mo money, mo problems. It's true. It's true. It's very often the case. There are a lot of issues. And so it's not, it's not a panacea. It's not a, a be all and end all. And I always go back to that, that, uh, that proverb from the Bible, give me neither poverty nor riches, this sort of middle way, this uh, way in which um, one can live with dignity and support oneself, but at the same time, not, not, be, not be tempted to, um, to forget about God, which can easily happen to people who have resources. Not always, not always. It's just, it's just a different challenge. Jesus had some wealthy disciples like Nicodemus, uh, some of the women who followed uh, him and, and, and helped to donate to the cause of the apostles, if you will, as they traveled throughout the dusty roads of Galilee. Nicodemus, St. Joseph of Arimathea, and they, they put their resources at the service of the king, Jesus. And so that's, that's, that's something important. All right, last couple here. Deathbed regret, not leaving something that lasts beyond my lifetime. Your children and grandchildren will remember you, but your great-grandchildren probably won't probably won't because family memories only go so far. So Sahil Bloom says, I will strive to leave a mark on the lives of those less fortunate than I was. So something that's going to live on beyond you. Um, that's, that's something to think about. What would that be? What would that look like? Some sort of a legacy, a foundation, something else perhaps? I don't know. But it's true. Children will remember you. Your grandchildren hopefully will get to know you. But your great-grandchildren, you might not live enough to see them or meet them. They probably won't know anything about you, not, not that much. So how can your legacy endure? Another deathbed regret that a lot of people would have, wasting precious time stressing about stupid little things. <laughs> I have to be careful about that word because uh, whenever I say that, I, if I ever say the word stupid, Michaela always gives me the manual buzzer. She says, eh, that's a, you just said a bad word, Daddy. What, what's that? Stupid. Don't say stupid. Okay, well, point taken. Anyways, it, it's easy to get caught up, he says, in the, in the daily stresses of life. But if you get absorbed by every little stress, life takes on a sad dullness. I will handle real stressors and opt out of what he calls stupid stress. Sorry, Michaela, I had to say I was quoting him. All right, not, here's another one. Not working on things I consider meaningful. We get one chance, so why use our precious mental energy on things that feel small? It's not about, by the way, it's not about someone else's definition of meaning. It's about yours, whatever you feel is a meaningful project. And to someone else, that might not be a meaningful project, but it is to you. So make sure that you work on meaningful projects. 
And the last one, number 10, allowing my quest for more to distract me from the beauty of enough. Ambitious people chase whatever more is on the horizon, but true wealth is not found in attaining more, but in discovering your version of enough. I will always be grounded by my enough. So the interesting thing. So it just kind of made me think about this. What are some deathbed regrets? What are ones that you've heard? What are your what are your personal things that you want to avoid? What the deathbed regrets that you don't want to have? Call in 888-914-914. I find it interesting though, he didn't mention anything from a spiritual perspective. He talked about physical health, he talked about family, he talked about friends, and all those things are really important. Remember the other day when we were talking about the wheel of life, there are all these spokes on the wheel, all these sections of life, and you, you want to try to get to a a 10 in each one of these areas that the wheel rolls evenly on the on the road of life. But what about the spiritual aspect? That, that's obviously key. That's primary for us. 888-914-9149. Got to take a quick break here on the Kale Clark Show. And also during this segment, you're going to hear a little word from Father Rocky, another Lenten lesson. Be right back. It's Super Mario Day to all who celebrate. Have a good one. It's March the 10th. M-A-R-I-O. Get it? Mario? All right. Okay. But it's a big deal. It's a big deal with the Super Mario movie coming out. And I'll tell you what, this is this is something that, that is a real thing, too. Um, speaking of actual feast days, coming up in nine days, it's the Feast of St. Joseph, March the 19th, which happens on a Sunday this year, but I think it's going to be transferred over to the 20th for practical purposes. Having said that, though, here's what we're going to do today on the Kale Clark Show. In a little bit, we're actually going to pray the Novena to St. Joseph. Why not? Let's do it together. Let's ask for his intercession. One of the things that we call him here at Relevant Radio is the head of Relevant Radio. He is obviously the protector of the Universal Church, and we call on him all the time all the time here at Relevant Radio, and he will always help you, intercede for you. He's so close to our Lord. And St. Teresa of Avila really spread a lot of devotion to St. Joseph, and she basically said he's never let me down. I, I can't recall any time where he's ever let me down. So we're going to pray that uh, together later in the program. So we we're talking about deathbed regrets. We want to avoid them, <laughs> if at all possible. And so I asked you, have you ever heard somebody's deathbed regrets maybe in person or maybe write about them. And did you learn anything from it? What you don't want to do, what you want to make sure uh, that you accomplish in life so that you don't have any regrets. Let's go to Kevin. By the way, the phone number to call, 888-914-9149. Let's go to Kevin in San Clemente, California. Hi, Kevin. Hey, everything you've read so far is almost like a uh, how-to go-through-life. You know, (laughs) uh, do these things so you're not regretful on your deathbed. I Mm. went back... Um, and got a second degree during COVID after dealing with some family issues, you know, just parents getting older and Mm -hmm. both of them passing away, one from a stroke, the other one from Alzheimer's. Mm. And one of the, the biggest regret, number one, that's ironically on Wikipedia as well, is not living life authentic to yourself and doing so by trying to meet other people's expectations. Mm. And I, Mm. I kind of found that, ambiguous in a sense and Mm -hmm. my only real takeaway from that as a closing note is 
Wear what you want to wear. Be what you want to be. Don't ever worry about what other people perceive of you because, you know, you've got to be authentic to yourself. And mm. society puts a lot of pressure on us to be somebody else. And that, to me, deprives you of self-esteem, self-love, self-joy by trying to meet other people's expectations and what society has to say. Just closing, Mark, always have kindness, love, and gratitude in your heart, and be authentic to yourself. If you slam your finger in the door, it's okay to let out a curse word. <laughs> be yourself. <laughs> well, I tell you, not according to Michaela, but but uh, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more later. But, Kevin, thank you so much. I appreciate that call. And this idea of being true to oneself and not who other people want you to be, I, th- I think there's an exception to that. And the except, I know I know where you're coming from with that, but but and this might sound like super pious to say this is not not the case, not intended to be so. But the most important thing is to figure out who God wants us to be. Now, He wants us to be a saint, of course, the best version of ourselves. But we we never stop being authentically you or me. When that when that happens, we'll be even more authentically who we were created to be. More and and there's so many people that feel like. I talk about this all the time. If they join the church, if they submit themselves to the cross of Christ, they're going to become a sort of a cookie-cutter Christian or a cookie-cutter Catholic. And maybe somebody like Ned Flanders, you know, Homer Simpson's neighbor on The Simpsons, this sort of generic-type Christian that, I'll lose myself. And Pope Benedict used to talk about that. He said, look, when you follow Christ, he will never take anything away from you that is authentically you, but he, but he is going to make you the best version of yourself. He is going to make you a saint, and that's what it's all about. And, and so it's not about uh, sameness, if you will. In fact, the, the saints are so wonderfully different. If we look at the lives of the saints, wow, we see a lot of variety. We, we see a lot of passion, a lot of different personalities. As Peter Crave said, it's the sinners that are also dreadfully alike. It's the same stuff over and over and over and over again. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine as you're calling in. I, just, I do I do want to give a little memento mori segment because we, we weren't able to do it yesterday. We just had uh, a lot going on, and uh, it's an hour long show. I don't have that much time, so I, I did want to slip this in because we didn't get a chance to talk about it yesterday. And it's from Thursday, yesterday's entry in her memento mori journal, the Lenten devotional. Remember your death, my sister uh, Teresa Alethea Noble. It's published by the Daughters of Saint Paul. It's a uh, Great option if you're looking for a, a Lenten companion, if you will, to help kind of spur your prayer life. We always need something. And I, I mentioned Teresa, uh, another Teresa, Teresa of Avila, um, earlier. And St. Teresa, I, I believe it was St. Teresa of Avila who said that she, one of the things she was most terrified of in life is going into her prayer time without some sort of a, a, a book or, or something that would help spur her prayer. And there are certain prayer companions that are out there that help us to give some food for thought, to meditate on, on on certain things. Understanding, though, of course, and she knew this well, reading is not praying. Reading a book is not praying. Praying is having conversation with our Lord. However, sometimes it can just give us little morsels that we can kind of chew on. And Anyways, yesterday's gospel was, of course, uh, taken from Luke chapter 16, the rich man and Lazarus. We, we mentioned that recently on the program. And she says this, she's going to read a little excerpt from Sister Teresa Alethea Noble. She says, quote, when we remember death, 
we also remember that our actions have consequences in the afterlife. And that's a little bit like Russell Crowe in Gladiator, right? What we do in life echoes in eternity. And by the way, speaking of Russell Crowe, speaking of, I'll have much more to say about Russell Crowe next week, but Russell Crowe is going to be in a movie. I just saw the trailer about Father Gabriel Amorth, the Vatican exorcist. Now, you might have read these books published by Ignatius Press, An Exorcist Tells His Story. There's a follow-up, more stories from an exorcist. Really interesting stuff. Anyways, there's a movie going to be made. Exorcism movies are always, always of interest to people, always. So he's going to play Father Gabriel Amorth. So I'm looking forward to that. Anyways, it's true that our actions do have consequences in the afterlife. And Sister Teresa says the rich man in the gospel almost certainly did not consider life after death when he continually passed by poor Lazarus lying at his front gate. Perhaps the rich man knew. His actions would have consequences in the afterlife, but chose to ignore them. But fear of the afterlife should not have been what motivated the rich man to be good to Lazarus. He should have treated Lazarus, Lazarus with love because he loved God. And of course, that is the true manifestation of love. Loving God, loving people. If you don't love people created in the image of God, you can't claim that you love God. So says John the Apostle in one of his letters. Back to Sister Teresa, quote, Had the rich man known God and lived for God, he never, ever would have passed by Lazarus without wanting to help him. If he had known God, he would have seen God in Lazarus. Remembering the afterlife helps us to make fruitful, good choices in the everyday moments of life. However, if remembering the afterlife leads us only to live in trembling fear of hell, then our gaze is focused in the wrong direction. We think of the afterlife not in order to fear hell, but to remember our goal, eternal life. End of quote. All right, let me just make a comment on this. She's right about this, of course. When we think about the afterlife, it's not just about avoiding hell. It's not just about avoiding the fires of hell. As we say in the, the Fatima prayer, save us from the fires of hell. But I will say this, and this was certainly true for me when I came back to Christ when I was in my university years. Fear of punishment, it's not the best motivation, but it does work in a pinch. It's a starting point. It's something. It does work. It's not the best motivation, though. It's not the best motivation. The best motivation for avoiding sin is pure love of God, of course. It's a little bit like, you know, the commandment, don't commit adultery. Well, fear of punishment, of, of if you're a married person, fear of punishment uh, if you were to commit that sin, that grave sin, shouldn't be your, your number one primary motivation. It should be, of course, that you love your wife. You love your wife and you would never want to hurt her or, or you know, if you're a lady, to hurt him. So, obviously, pure love of God is the ultimate, but it's got to start somewhere and God has to, has to purify us. So, she says this, quote, Sister Teresa, when we, when we allow God to love us, this love energizes our lives, prepares us for the afterlife. Living for heaven will not make us somber saints, but holy people full of zeal and joy. If the rich man had lived for heaven, both his life on earth and his afterlife would have been filled with his joy. Unlike the rich man, we still have the opportunity to accept God's love in order to love others more fully. End of quote. All right. I like how she says, living for heaven will not make us somber saints, but holy people full of zeal and joy. Somber saints don't don't convert anybody. I've never met anybody who's been converted by sadness, like a really, really sad Catholic. 
Um, and we sometimes see people who, who they always want to show us how, how much they're suffering and they, they never smile and they just seem like they're just... And Jesus says, don't do that. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, if you're fasting, don't make it obvious. Don't you know, wash your face. You know, put on some, I don't know, some cologne or something. You know, I didn't say do that, but, but don't make it obvious. Don't make it obvious. And one of my professors used to do this bit of um, the Pharisees. The Pharisees were some, some of the Pharisees, not all of them, not all of them. But some of the Pharisees were mocked by others as he who clings to the walls. He who clings to the walls. What does that mean? Well, some guys, when they were supposed to be fasting, they would literally just stagger through the streets and they, would, they were just so exhausted. Oh, and they would just hold themselves up against the wall. They're clinging to the walls. He who rubs himself against the wall. And then people would ask him, Hey, Moshe, are you, are you fasting today? Why, yes. How did you know? <laughs> well, because you, should, you deserve an Oscar for this performance, so don't do it because you're, you're performing for the crowd. You're not, you're not living for God. This is not a, a fast that's offered to the Lord. It's really for, for everybody else, so they'll think you're holy. Anyways, she closes with this little quote uh, from... It's a really, really, really powerful quote, actually, from St. Augustine, who is a great preacher. Uh, when, um, if, you, if you're looking for, if you want to get into St. Augustine, apparently the way to go, apparently the way to go is to read his homilies, because they're really, really powerful, and they hold up even today, even today. And so, uh, Professor Matthew Levering, when he was on the program recently, he teaches at Mundelein Seminary outside of Chicago, and, and, and he, he said that. He says, a big St. Augustine guy, go into his homilies. They, they never fail you. Here's what St. Augustine said about this, this passage about the rich man and Lazarus. Um, he said this, quote, proud in the world, talking about the rich guy, proud in the world, in hell, a beggar. Remember, the script, the script was flipped when they were in the afterlife, and the rich man was in hell. He sees... Lazarus, the poor guy at Abraham's side, this, this paradise of the old covenant time. Proud in the world, but in hell a beggar. Of these two, tell me which died well and which died ill. Do not ask the eyes. Return to the heart. For if you ask the eyes, they will answer you falsely. Vastly splendid, disguised with much worldly show, are the honors that must have been paid to the rich man in his death. What crowds of mourning servants must have been there? What pompous train of family members and friends? What splendid funeral proceedings? What a costly burial? I assume his body was overwhelmed with spices. What shall we say then? Did he die well or did he die ill? If you ask the eyes, he died very well. If you ask your inner master, he died most ill. End of quote. So, wow, that's, that's a, we can fool a lot of the people all, some of the time, but we can never fool God about the state of our interior life. So think about that. Imagine, St. Augustine imagines the funeral of this rich man and how splendid it was, had a nice casket, maybe a nice suit in there. Okay, great. All good. I, I saw a meme. This is terrible. I saw a meme with Yoda uh, at a funeral, and, he, and he's looking, and, and, looking, Yoda was looking at his, boss allegedly in the casket his boss's funeral and yoda said who's thinking outside the box now all right all right okay that's terrible that's awful but we do need to have a sense of humor about these things but but it's a serious thing it's a serious thing to think about 
the afterlife and the regrets that we don't want to have, the regrets that we don't want to have. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888 is the number to call. Let's go now to the phones. Let's go to Mina in Fort Myers, Florida. Hi, Mina. Oh, hi, Kale Clark. Hi. Michaela is saving your soul with that stupid word. <laughs> Matthew 5.22. No, we can't laugh because you just told us that actions do have, what's it, consequences yes. mm-hmm. in the afterlife. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. guess what? If you read to us now, recite to us, please, Matthew 5.22. This is Michaela speaking. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Do you do you have access to Matthew five twenty two? Yeah, I yeah, I can, I can, I can, I can. Okay, you okay? I thought you had it there. Let me grab it. Let me grab it here. Grab my trusty Thank New you. Testament, and let's go to. I know oh, what you're going to say, and I know what Jesus is going to mm-hmm. say here, and I, I need to hear it. I need to hear it. We all need to hear it, don't oh. we? So let's let's see here. Matthew five twenty two. Actually, let's back up a little bit. Five twenty one. You have heard it said. Sorry, you have heard that it was said to the men of old, "You shall not kill," and whoever kills shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother shall be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool shall be liable to the hell of fire. I hear what you're saying there. I get the message. It's Michaela. She's an angel. These children, they speak wisdom. They they speak so pure. They do. They do. She wouldn't do it if it didn't, you know, quench her spirit. She quen- it quenches her spirit when she hears Daddy say the stupid <laughs> word. And, it's, yeah. and it goes along with fool, stupid, and idiot. You know, it's whatever translation you're going to read in the Holy Scripture. But uh, Kayla is, she she must, I, from what I just heard you say, she she must reiterate to you, oh, oh, that word, that word. Well, yeah. You know, it, <laughs> yeah. it really... Well, you know, she always admonishes me. She always uh, admonishes me with it, with a smile on her face and uh, and uh, a, a wink in the eye. And she, but she, she really, she really is absolutely. And I think every parent can say that it hundred percent instantly makes you a better person to be a parent for sure. Because you're just you're just concerned about all these things that you never would have thought of before. Everything from how how safe is it to cross the road to uh, any number of different things, and, and certainly. Uh, out of the mouth of babes can come a lot of instruction from God. God can use, uh, of course, the wisdom of children, if you will, uh, to speak to us. We, need, we do need to become as children before God, as, as he says. You've got to turn and become like little children. And it's all about trust, and it's all about trying to be pure, and, and that's what we have to do. So uh, thank you so much for that, for that reminder, Mina. I really appreciate you listening in Fort Myers, Florida. Good time for a break. We're going to just uh, take a quick break right now on The Kale Clark Show, 888-914-9149. And call in, give your take, and we'll be right back. We're going to pray the novena to St. Joseph on the other side of the break. So don't miss it, 888-914-9149. This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Hey, welcome back to the program. 888-914-9149 is the number to call toll-free to talk to me on the K.O. Clark Show. Love that tune. Keep it going, Jim. 
914-914-9149. Well, as I said just a few minutes ago before the break, we are so close, so close to the Feast of St. Joseph on March the 19th. I think it's going to be commune to the 20th because the 19th falls on a Sunday this year. But we're going to start the novena as we would normally do on March the 10th anyway. So we're going to pray that together. I just thought it'd be a fun thing for us to do together and a very spiritually beneficial thing to do as well. And I know producer Jim, he's going to join us as we pray this, uh, was thinking a lot about the last things as, as you as you ought to do because he just came back from a retreat. And obviously St. Joseph, as Jim reminded me uh, during the break just now, the patron saint of a happy death. So it's very apropos with what we're talking about. Obviously, uh, tradition tells us, although this is not in the scriptures, tradition tells us that when St. Joseph passed into eternity, oh wow, what better way to do it? Our Lady, our Lord himself there in all likelihood uh, at his bedside. And, and wow, what, a, what, what an incredible thing to think about. And so we want to pray uh, for the grace of a happy death in God's grace and ask him for his intercession on that front. And in all likelihood, that's why he doesn't appear in, in the gospel uh, during Jesus' public ministry. By, by that point, he probably uh, passed away. And I know, Jim, you had a great time uh, at, at the retreat. Tell us a little bit about that, that retreat center that you went to. Oh, it was great. <clears throat> yeah, it's a White House Jesuit retreat center in St. Louis, Missouri. And uh, I've been on two other retreats there, silent retreats. And um, just a beautiful, beautiful time to, uh, to speak to God, to let him speak to you and your heart directly. And mm. uh, just a wonderful, wonderful uh, time to really uh, kind of grasp the meaning of Lent and uh, yeah. the meaning of his love in our lives. Absolutely. And were you able to get back to St. Louis, your hometown of St. Louis, at some point on, on the way there or the way back? Yeah, it's there in St. Louis, yeah. So right on the bluffs overlooking the Mississippi. Oh, wow. Wow. And did you did you make it to uh, to your favorite lunch I joint? I know where you're going with this. <laughs> King <laughs> Edward's Chicken, yep. King Edward's Had Chicken. To. Can't pass it up. Yeah, hey, and when I was there, I walked in. Randy's the guy that owns the place, and and he's like, what? He's always like, what are you doing here? And I said, you know that I have to come back to King Edwards every time I come back to St. Louis. And so I said, you know, we talked about you on the Kale Clark show. And he said, is that a religious show? And I said, yeah, you know, the Kale Clark show, it's faith, facts, and fun. And he said, there was an older lady that came in and she said, I was listening to the radio and they were talking about fried chicken. And that, you know, I was listening, she was listening to this religious show and Best fried chicken in St. Louis they were talking about is King Edward. So <laughs> hey, people are listening to your show Randy, in St. Louis. There you go. <laughs> Randy, come on, man. If I, if I, you got to get me to this place, and hopefully, hopefully Randy will give me a free, a free lunch because uh, this, is, this is incredible. So we, we've got relevant radio listeners coming to King Edward's Chicken. I love it. I love it. Well, listen, we, we don't want to we don't want to be chicken. We want we want to pray. We want to face reality, and that's what we're going to do right now. <laughs> Tortured segue there, but we'll. We're going to pray right now the Novena to St. Joseph, and I think there are probably a lot of different Novena prayers to St. Joseph, but uh, this is the one that I have. We'll use this for today. It's a, it's a little, uh, it's it's very short. It's very sweet. And by the way, if you have prayer requests as we pray this, um, you could email them to me uh, at the show, kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. If there's something you'd like us to pray for during this Novena, this, these nine days of prayers, uh I will keep that in prayer, I promise. Uh, so uh, just fire that over, uh, kale at relevantradio.com. Now, let's pray the prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. 
To you, blessed Joseph, we come with confidence in this, our hour of need, trusting in your powerful protection, your loving service to the Immaculate Virgin Mother of God, and your fatherly affection for the child Jesus. Inspire us with faith in the power of your intercession before the throne of God. We pray, first of all, for the church, that it may be free from error and corruption and be a shining light of universal love and justice. We ask your intercession for our loved ones in their trials and adversities, that they may be inspired by the love, obedience, and affection of the Holy Family, and be to each other a mutual source of consolation and Christian fidelity. We ask your intercession also for our special needs. And you can, just in the silence of your heart, just offer those needs right now. And to keep us all under your protection, so that strengthened by your example and assistance, we may lead a holy life, die a happy death, and come to the possession of everlasting happiness in heaven. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we'll try to do that uh, during the weekdays, of course, on this show. Although we, we do have uh, the Kale Clark Show on the weekend. It's kind of a best-of situation. What we think are the best shows of the week, we play them uh, during our weekend slots. But you can, of course, get all of the episodes that you may have missed on the Relevant Radio app and relevantradio.com. All right, the phone number to call once again, 888-914-9149. It's the Kale Clark Show on relevant radio and it's interesting too because the 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 old testament reading today was from the book of genesis and it had to do with the joseph's brothers joseph in the old testament joseph in the amazing technicolor dream code as it were uh, being handed over uh, by his brothers betrayed and of course god uses that uh, incredibly sinful situation to bring about his will and to save so many multitudes because joseph obviously eventually ends up in egypt and he winds up helping to feed uh, everybody during this time of famine, including his family, his brothers who come to him. There's a big reveal. <laughs> I don't want to, I'd say I don't want to spoil it, but you should know this already. It's in the book of Genesis. And if you want to learn more about it, we have the Genesis series that we did on the Faith Explained, uh, which you can find on relevantradio.com on our Faith Explained show page. But there's actually a lot of similarities there. The Bible is full of what's called typology, typology. And this is, people, places, events, things in the Old Covenant that prefigure even greater people, greater things, greater events of salvation in the New Covenant. And as, as has often been said by many people, and I don't know exactly who coined this phrase, but God writes the world the way people, human beings, write with words. And an author, a good author, will use foreshadowing. I know that my wife is obsessed with Stephen King right now. She's just reading everything that she's really on this kick. And so he's, he's a master of suspense and, and tipping you off to things that will happen in the future. Well, Joseph in the Old Covenant really, really prefigures the Joseph of the New in so, so many ways. And in fact, St. Bernard of Clairvaux, the great St. Bernard of Clairvaux, in one of his homilies, he, he said this really eloquently. Here's what St. Bernard said. He said, quote, what are we to think of the dignity of Joseph who deserved to be called and to be regarded as the father of our Savior? We may draw a parallel between him and the great patriarch. As the first Joseph was by the envy of his brothers sold and sent into Egypt, the second Joseph fled into Egypt with Christ to escape the envy of Herod. The chaste patriarch 
remained faithful to his master despite the evil suggestions of his mistress. And that's, of course, a reference to the fact that Joseph gets thrown into prison eventually. He, he's pulled out of the prison. He, he winds up serving in Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife tries to seduce Joseph. Of course, he refuses. He's chaste. He's pure. He runs away from the temptation. And when it comes to those kinds of temptations, as St. Jose Maria said, don't try to be brave and fight. Turn tail and run. That's the bravest thing you can do. That's what Joseph does. She tries to grab him by his technicolor dream coat, and he runs right out of the coat. And, of course, she frames him. It's awful. Um, and so, that, actually, he go, that's what he's thrown into prison because, because of that. And one thing leads to another. Having said that, that's what happened to the patriarch Joseph in the Old Covenant. But St. Joseph in the New Covenant, St. Bernard Clairvaux, said he recognized in his wife, the pure virgin mother of his Lord, he guarded her with the utmost fidelity and purity. So he was pure just as the Joseph of the Old Covenant was pure. To Joseph of old was given interpretation of dreams, while to the new Joseph was given a share in the heavenly secrets. And of course, he had dreams too. God directed the New Covenant Joseph in dreams as well. Joseph in the book of Genesis kept a store of grain, not for himself, but for the whole nation. Our Joseph received the living bread from heaven that he might preserve it for his own salvation and that of all the world. That's right. He was the guardian of the living bread come down from heaven, Jesus, who of course gives himself to us under the appearances of bread and wine in the Eucharist. And that's why, um, speaking of St. Jose Maria, in every tabernacle uh, that he had installed in every center of, of Opus Dei around the world, he always had engraved on the tabernacle key go to Joseph. The words from the book of Genesis, ite ad Joseph in Latin. And that's, of course, a reference to the fact that the whole world would come to Joseph, who was the number two guy in all of Egypt by that point, looking for food, looking for sustenance. Well, of course, the new covenant Joseph helps lead us to the bread of life. So just so many beautiful things, so many beautiful uh, parallels we can draw between. This is the great thing about typology. God always works the same way. Uh, history doesn't repeat itself, but it sure does rhyme. That's what Mark Twain said, and we see this in salvation history as well. Well, it's been quite a week, an amazing week, uh, hopefully for, for all of us here uh, involved with Relevant Radio. And producer Jim, any big plans for the weekend? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Hang out with the family. That's big. That's, that's big. Well, that's important. That's yeah, important. Always, and, uh, always important. Yeah, it, it is. And uh, I know what I'm doing on, uh, on Sunday for sure. Other than going to Mass, of course, it's our it's our wedding anniversary. Patricia and I, it's our 18th wedding anniversary. Can you believe that? Congratulations. Un and I remembered. You I remembered. remembered. Yeah, that's the <laughs> yes. first win right there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, I don't know what we're going to do. She She's also a big fan of The Office with Steve Carell. And uh, in Toronto, there's this thing called The Office Experience you can go to. They've got these... It's like a museum. There's props from the show. You know, Michael Scott wore this in season two, that sort of thing. So, uh, are you a fan of The Office? Were you, were you into that? No. No, no. Really. <laughs> I always yeah, watched I, these programs like years after they aired. So, I started trying to get into it like a couple of years ago and nobody was talking about it anymore. So, mm, I kinda, yeah. Yeah. I got I to gotta get in it. I, I, it's, I've seen a couple episodes. I, I, I thought it was, I thought it was, thought it was funny. And, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, that, that could be our romantic uh, anniversary date, going to the office experience. So how about that? Well, I'm going to be checking out of, uh, and producer Jim will eventually be checking out of our relevant radio offices, and we do hope that you have a 
blessed weekend. I really want to thank you guys for all that you do to help keep the trains running on time. Jim Shaper producing, Patrick Alog taking your phone calls. Uh, it's always a great time being with you on the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. And so not only, of course, uh, do we have Timory coming up in just a few minutes, trending with Timory. Stay tuned for that. Father Rocky will be along, as he always is, every night. That's his commitment to you. The Family Rosary Across America coming up at 7 p.m. Central. This is Kale Clark. And this is Michaela, who keeps me on the straight and narrow, helps me to come and say, take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy. <laughs>